we are still in Hebrews. You know, this is our last, uh, we were in Hebrews for Lent, and this is the last uh, service in Hebrews. And so we're going to be looking at uh, a, a few verses from chapter 11 and 12 in just a minute. But before we do, um, Colton, my youngest son, he was asking Jen the other day, he said, you know, for, for us as Christians, which holiday is more important, Christmas or Easter? And Jen said, Easter. And Colton said, well, it's not like he ever would have risen from the dead if he wasn't born. And like, well, that's true. That's a good point, old smarty pants. But everybody's born and everybody dies. But there's only one. There's only one who conquers death. That's it, right? And so everything else, every other belief system, every other set of doctrines, every other person who we might follow. You know, there's the cult leaders who are dynamic and we go and chase after them because they can lead us this way. Or there's the, the doctrines that seem intriguing or the philosophies that seem appealing. And there's all of those things. But then there's just this guy who was real simple and who loved a whole bunch of people. And when he touched them, they were healed and they felt loved all the time. And all that was great and it was good, but he could have been like anybody else. But then he died on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago and three days later, stone rolled away and there was an empty place there and there was people who saw him afterwards and our entire faith everything is built on that reality our entire faith every doctrine is built on that simple fact that this man 2,000 years ago actually rose from the dead Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 he says that if he didn't rise from the dead if there is no resurrection then the rest of it is just foolishness emptiness it's meaningless and we are to be pitied above all else why would you base your life and your hope and your faith on some god who claimed to rise from the dead but didn't and then he's just like anyone else but this god requires a great deal and so why would we follow him we're to be pitied if it's not legit so we don't have time to talk about all of the Christian doctrines that the resurrection supports. We don't have time to talk about all the stories of people's lives that have been transformed because of the resurrection. We don't have time to say all of what is afforded to us because of the resurrection, and we don't have time to say everything that the resurrection speaks about God. But that is where I'd like to land. And for uh, just a couple of minutes, I want to describe three things that the resurrection says about God. Not just about us, but what does it say about God? And uh, I find, personally, that my life makes a whole lot more sense and my heart gets in the right place, not when I try to figure myself out, but when I look at God and figure out who he is. And the more I look at who God is, the more I'm changed. So three things that I believe the resurrection says about God, and we're going to look at them uh, in kind of a, a weird way a little bit. Um, because we're still in this Hebrews passage. So uh, there's a few uh, verses we're going to read from Hebrews, and then I'm just going to talk through these three uh, things that the resurrection says about, the God, about God. So I am going to have you stand in honor of God's word, please, as we read just a couple verses from Hebrews chapter 11 and chapter 12. In verse 1, it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation, and by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, that what is seen was made out of things that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Okay? Now down to verse six. Without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists 
and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household, and by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that had foundations, whose designer and builder was God. And then in in chapter 12, verse 1, It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and by the way, that whole chapter just tells a story after story of all these people of faith and and what they were able to accomplish through trusting in God. And so then it's saying, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people who have gone before us, who have uh, tested God in faith, so to speak, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. God bless the reading of his word. You can have a seat. Faith. The first thing that the resurrection says about God is that God's alive. That he's like really alive. At Parker Ford Church, we say that we are, PFC stands for not just Parker Ford Church. What else does it stand for? People following Christ. We are a people following Christ. When we say we're following Christ, that doesn't mean we're following the the, the uh Example of a historical figure somewhere back there that we read about and then we try to do what he did. That, that has some truth to it, but that's not what we're about. What we're about is about following a living being. The person of Jesus is still alive. When he rose from the dead, he never went back into the grave. He went up into heaven. He's still alive. When we, we communicate with him, we believe that he also communicates with us and that we have a capacity to hear his voice and move with him. We believe that God is actually alive, that it's not just a historical figure, that it's not just one who taught really well and we like his concepts. We actually believe that God, God is alive, that Jesus, the one who died, is alive. Now, uh, this can be difficult for some of us because we realize that faith is the essence of things unseen and the presence of things hoped for. So, you know, we, we hope for things, and, and the essence of those things that we hope for, okay, I hope and I dream for stuff, but that doesn't mean it's a reality. There are things that I'm told that are unseen, but are they actually real? And what happens is, is in the spiritual world, we can't see the spiritual world. We live by faith, not by sight. And so faith is the only thing that allows us to see the spiritual world. If we don't have faith, we can't see the spiritual world. There are these moments in the text, and there are moments throughout history where we see spiritual things manifest physically. And those are weird moments, you know. Anytime something spiritual like an angel manifested physically, what did people do? Yeah, they faint, they freak out. They lose it, you know? They don't know what to do with it. They're, they're, they're just totally scared every time they see something spiritual manifest physically. Most of the time, we can't see anything spiritual. By definition, you can't see spiritual things by your eyes. You see them by faith. That's the way God designed it. God is a master at making sure that 
all the reality of the spiritual world is hidden behind a wall of faith. You know, he cloaks everything. The only way, like when you, when you walk into a theater that's 3D and you don't have 3D glasses on, it doesn't work. And if you walk into the spiritual world, but you don't have faith, you can't see. You just can't see it. And there, but there are these moments. And so the resurrection is one of these gracious moments where the, the truth of the, of the spiritual world gets very, very, very close to the reality that we can see with our physical eyes. The spiritual world is constantly touching. The spiritual world is constantly touching the physical world. And there's all sorts of things that in our physical world are happening because of the spiritual world. But, but that's not empirical evidence that proves God is true and that he's alive. But in the resurrection, it gets this close to actually just showing up. You know, the spiritual world. It's almost like in the res- resurrection, it's almost because of the truth of the historical reality of the resurrection that you can almost just see angels and see demons and see God and see all of that stuff because God manifests so profoundly through the resurrection that if you study history, if you're a student of history, it's this close to be in the empirical evidence to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was alive. And this is, this is how we know that because we know that people die all the time for things that they believe are real. People don't die for things that they believe are false. And there was a whole bunch of people who died martyrs' deaths because when they were put to the test and they said, if you recant over the resurrection, then you can live. And they were like, put me down because I'm going home, you know? And they knew. And so, and you're ordinary people suffering brutal death because they wouldn't recant from the fact that they saw the resurrected Christ. And that's historical evidence, extra-biblical historical evidence. That's outside of just what the, the scriptures reveal. There's evident, historical evidence all over the place about that. Now, that is a reality. That is an evidence of the truth of the resurrection. But the truth of the resurrection is this, is that if, in fact, Jesus did come back and he didn't die, then that means that this religion that I walk in, this faith that I go after, that this isn't a religion at all, that what this is is a, an ability to have a living, dynamic relationship with the God of the universe, that he is actually alive, that he's here, that he's present, that in this room right now where two or three are gathered, Jesus is here in our midst. And it's one thing to say that. It's one thing to describe that. It's one thing to believe that as a doctrine. It's an entirely other thing to believe that as a reality, as if we could see it with our physical eyes. So I want to say this one thing about God in this point, is that he is alive. And those of you who have experienced him alive know that that can't really be taken from you now. The other day, well, I'll just say this. God is the master of hide-and-seek. He's the best hide-and-seek dad of all time. What he does is he stands out right in the middle of the open room, but he hides himself just like this by disappearing. And he says, if you will have eyes of faith, you can find me. And for those of us who believe that the only way something is proven true is by human logic based on empirical evidence, then we will sadly miss the fact that God is in the room all the time. But for those of us who believe that if God spoke it through the scriptures, we believe that it's a reality. And those of us who look around with hearts turned toward him believe that in the famous words of American history, we can believe these things to be self-evident. 
Okay? We believe these things to be self-evident, that God created the universe and that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's what it says in, in Hebrews uh, twelve six there, or in Hebrews eleven six. It says, without faith it is impossible to please God. You know, without faith it's also impossible to see God. Without faith it's impossible to please God. For those who would draw near to him must believe that God exists, must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Belief is a function of faith, of trust. If I want to know and follow God, I will find him. He is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. If you have not experienced God yet, there's a couple things you need to know. One is you haven't fully experienced life yet. Because when Abraham was yearning for a city that was not from this place, whose builder and designer was God, what he's saying is, God made me. God created it all. God knows what I'm made for. And I need to find him because I believe that when I find what he has for me, I find life. And those who find God find the experience of life. Now that's not any condescending or weird or arrogant thing for those of you who haven't experienced that yet. Because if you haven't experienced that yet, it's not like any of us who have experienced that experienced it by our own goodness. We're a mess. Welcome to the mess. It's called the church. It's a mess. It's a disaster. You know, we are made up of just broken, messed up, selfish, blubbering. I'm going to stop there before I say things I regret. We're a mess. We're such a mess. And yet by his grace, he is alive and allows us to find him if we trust him. And he will be found by us. He actually says that. That's a scripture verse. I will be found by you. I will be found by you. And so he allows himself to be found. The other day I was um, uh, speaking at a church a few weeks ago, actually, out in Lancaster County. And there was, I, I have this problem that if I drive on this one section of land out above Ephrata and I have good worship music on and I'm driving down the road, I just have to pull my car over and get out of the car and turn the radio up and stand there and just worship God because I can't look at all that beauty and hear the worship uh, without responding in some way. And so I was out just standing outside of my car with the, the stereo cranked and I'm just sitting there like praying and worshiping God and people are like slowing down as they go past me. And then finally one person pulls over. They're like, are you okay? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm just kind of hanging out with God. You know, and they're like, cuckoo, you know, <laughs> like, and it was very, uh, very obvious that it was weird for them. But when we live by faith, we're seeing things that eyes of faith don't see. And there are moments when we're in faith and we're seeing it, and there's moments when we're not in faith and we're not seeing it, right? I mean, there are way more moments in my life when I'm not living by faith than when I am. Okay, that's your pastor speaking. Don't stone me. But honestly, there's so many times when I'm engaging a situation as if all that's available are the resources that are within me because I'm not aware. I, I know that God's here, but I don't know that he's here. You know, like right now, I am very acutely aware that there are a whole bunch of people staring at me. You know, you're all here. You're all here. Are we that aware of the fact that God is here staring at us right now? And he's present. You know, he's alive. And the resurrection tells us that our God is not like any other religious leader or any other religious founder or any other religion. Our God is alive and he's present and he wants to be found by us. Second thing that, uh, that the, the resurrection reveals to us is it reveals to us that God is willing and God is able 
to do what we cannot do. There are things that we are completely, entirely incapable of. The resurrection tells us that nothing will stop Christ. Nothing will stop God. There is not a person in here who can say, I will not die, and then just defeat death. Of course, the resurrection, Jesus is like, uh, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And he did it. You know? That's not, in my opinion, the most impressive part of it. The most impressive part of it is this, is that he was able to stare down absolutely every ounce of our sin and the selfishness of our culture and of each one of us individually. And he decided that he would never once think of himself, but he would pour out his life all the way to death. And here's the thing that's so impressive about Jesus. Not only could he physically rise from the dead, but spiritually he could bring love out of selfishness. That Jesus, in a world of complete and total self-absorption, Jesus could pour out every ounce of his being, every ounce of his energy, every ounce of his physical blood in order to love those who are around him. None of us can do that. None of us, we all have a limit. We all hit the limit where it's like, my love bucket just ran out. You know, it's empty and I gave up. And I started getting selfish again. It never happens to Jesus. Never happens to him. And he can and he will do whatever it takes to do the thing that we can't and we need. And that's what the resurrection explains to us. This is the entry point of all Christian faith is this. He is capable. He is capable. I am not. The tomb is empty. I can't do that. Jesus can. Faith starts with me decreasing and him increasing. All faith is like, he can do it. I can't. I trust him. That's where all faith in Jesus starts. It's he's capable, I'm not, and he proves that he is capable. There is all sorts of people who promise us all sorts of stuff. Most of them are on commercials on TV, and all of them are flat-out lies. You know, you know, you might have a warranty, money back, you know, but what you're promising me isn't just that your product will work. What you're promising me is that I'll be happy because of your product, and that's a lie. Can I get my money back on that one? Can I get an amen? <laughs> joke kind of anyway um the the reality is is that jesus not only says that he can conquer death he says that we will find joy inside of him um john whale says this um he says the gospels do not explain the resurrection but the resurrection explains the gospels belief in the resurrection is not an appendage to the christian faith it is the christian faith and in essence that is exactly what the christian faith is we are dead he rises that's it we believe that he can do the impossible. And uh, so that's why without faith, it's impossible to please God because we have to believe that he exists in order to depend on him and we have to believe that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. That's what keeps us depending on him. Where Abraham said, when God told him to leave Ur, he said, all right, I'll leave. But why did he leave? Because he was looking for a city whose builder and foundation were God. He was looking for the designer who was God. Why? Because he believed that God is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So when God said, I want you to leave your hometown, I want you to leave your family, I want you to leave your business, and I want you to go wander in the wilderness, well, first of all, A, does God exist, or am I just hearing weird voices in my head? Okay? But secondly, even if God does exist and he said that, why should I trust him? Because he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
And this is where he proves that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. He will and can do what we cannot, which is why we put our trust in him. There's no place where this is more true than in conquering death and in fear and in shame. We have all sorts of results from our sin. The wages of sin is all of us is going to die because of our sin. He conquers that. The wages of my sin when it comes to my social world with you, when I sin and mess up, what do I feel in relationship with the rest of you? Shame. Yeah. And in front of God, the judge, when I do something wrong, what do I feel? Guilt. I am guilty in front of God, ashamed in front of you, and the condemnation is death. The result of it is death. He conquers death, he conquers shame, and he conquers guilt. If I'm carrying guilt, if I'm carrying shame, if I'm afraid of death, guess what? There is no good reason for me to be afraid, ashamed, or guilty at all as long as I confess my sins to him. He is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness because he did it, because he did it. What I can't do, he will do. Uh, last Sunday when, when we were here, and um, Sunday afternoon, and we said goodbye to Bob Latchell, um, and we said, you know, uh, we paid respects to the family and all of that, I had this thought later where I was like, you know, I have this buddy who I was friends with in high school, and I, I think I might have seen him once since high school, and he was like my best friend. Like, we, we, were, we were tight. Actually, this guy over here, um, Nate and, and my, my other buddy and I, we used to hang out all the time, but I haven't seen, I haven't seen him in, in years. But I had this thought the other day. I said, you know what? If I saw him today, we would pick up exactly where we left off. We would be laughing, goofing around. Being, like, I'd forget that I like, am 20 years older now. Yeah, 20. Um, and I'd forget that, and we'd just pick right back up. Because there's some friendships and some relationships that when you say goodbye, like you come back to it, and it just picks right up where you left off. And this is the thing, is when we said bye to Bob Latchall last, last week, the difference between the resurrection and not the resurrection is honestly that all we're doing is saying, I'm going to miss you, I'll see you later. You know, looking forward to when I see you again. And that that is not something that we use to cope with death. That's not a coping mechanism. That's not to make me feel better in death. See, death has lost its sting. There is no strength in death. Death is a shadow and it's a phantom for those who believe in Jesus. Death has already been conquered. It's already been put down. Death is fake. No longer. There's no poison in it. There's no permanency to it. We've been given eternal life. I actually, literally, will see Bob Latchall in not that too many years. And when I do, I'll be like, hey, How's heaven been? You know? And he will say, hey, you know, and we will connect. And we will be in relationship like you and I are. That's the reality of the resurrection. That same reality is available to us. If we are carrying shame or if we are carrying guilt by faith, we can believe that that no longer exists, that that has been put down. And by faith, we receive the righteousness of God. Third thing, I got to say one other thing about that, and then I'll move on. And that's just this, is that if you were here Friday night at Tenebrae, um, at that service, you know, as you walk through and as you observe all the, 
the difficulties of the cross and the struggles of the cross. We go through and we extinguish seven candles, and each candle there's a scripture reading and, a, and, and then another reading explaining all the difficulties that Jesus went through, like, uh, like the darkness of denial, the darkness of betrayal, the darkness of death ultimately, um, and all of these different darknesses that he walks through, injustice and all of these things. And this, the service gets heavier and heavier as we realize just how brutal this was on Jesus, as we're reminded of that. Well, there was one point in the service where I forget which candle we were on, but we started, we sang together. There's a, usually a song of response, and we were singing together, Were You There? You know that song? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? And we were singing this, you know? We're, and, and as we were singing it, it was getting thick in the room. And I mean, you hear sniffles all over the room. We were emoting. It was dark, so you couldn't see. But we were struggling because we could feel the pain as we listened to the reading and were experiencing that pain. And I, I wasn't part of planning the music. And I just had this assumption in my head that when we got to the last verse, were you there when we rose up from the grave, that we probably wouldn't sing that because it's Tenebrae. It's Good Friday. That's about Easter. But we did sing it. And let me tell you about the experience I had when we sang that. What it felt like to me is that someone had me under the water, choking me out, and I couldn't breathe. And I was feeling the weight of just, this is too heavy. And then when that verse came, it said, were you there when he rose up from the grave? And I felt like I busted up out of the water and got a deep breath before the end of that song when we got pulled back under. You know, and in that moment, I just felt like, and I just lost it because I'm like, there's still hope. There's still hope. And this is what it says. Were you there when he rose up from the grave? Oh, I feel like shouting glory, glory, glory. And that's what it felt like. I felt like I was just coming up out of the water shouting like glory. Like it's not just death and sorrow. There's hope and there's life. And this thing that we're experiencing, we're experiencing so that we know that he went through this so we can be grateful for what he went through. But that's not the reality of our lives anymore. The reality of our lives is resurrection. We live because he died. We don't have to live in the Good Friday service. We observe it to worship him, but we live in an Easter reality. Third thing that it reveals about God, first is he's alive, second he's willing and able to do what we cannot, and third is that he's a really, really good father. The scripture we didn't read, I just want to read a little bit from, and that's in, in chapter 13, where it's, or in chapter 12, where it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by those great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with patience the, rest, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, and he despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, verse 3, Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be out of joint, but rather healed. We have this, have you, anybody seen the, the, in the video of the, the live feed of the eagles? 
Um, like York County on their website, they have this live feed of the eagles. It's awesome, isn't it? This eagle's nest. You got it on there. Yeah, let's bring it up. I should have done that. I didn't even think about it. Um, and so I, there, there's uh, this live feed, and you can see there's these little eagles. What do you call them? Chicks? Eaglets. There we go. Eaglets. That's way better than chicks. They eat chicks. Wait. <laughs> That's like, they're like, these little things are these fluffy, they're about this big, right? See that? And they're just these fluffy white little things. And, uh, oh, 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 yeah, there they are. You can pass it around. So they, uh, and so there's this eagle's nest, and, and these little white little furry fur balls are in there. And then mom and dad come in. Mom's in there a lot, okay? And it is, this eagle's nest is nasty. It is gross, man. There is just carcasses everywhere. There is nasty. I, the good news is you can't smell through it, you know? So there's a, there's a skunk carcass in there. There's fish all over the place. And every now and then you see dad come back and drop off another, you know, fish. And then he takes off. And mom's sitting there just consistently, constantly picking from the fish, coming over, putting it in their mouth, picking from the fish, coming over and putting it in their mouth. And you figure they're only like this big, but they got to get huge. And that's all coming from what mom's given to them. So she's constantly feeding them, right? Well, the other day, Jem was watching it and she said, it was weird. The dad came and the dad started to try to feed him. She's like, he is so bad at feeding them. Like, he is really bad at it. I'm like, I'm sorry. And then... What ended up happening was is she realized that dad actually was bringing a completely different angle. And this is what she realized. Because what was happening was mom just constantly kept giving him food. But dad was like, he was sitting back here and he'd pick something off and he'd have it in his beak, you know. And he'd just be sitting there, but he was too far away. You know, and he's kind of like, it seemed like he didn't want to get close or something, you know. And then he'd kind of come a little bit closer and he'd get a little bit closer. And then finally he'd put it right in front of their beak and they'd look at it and they'd sniff it and they'd go to snap it and he'd pull back. And then he'd pull back, and he'd do it again. And then one time, one of the little eaglets gets up, walks over, and goes for it, falls, gets, and he pulls away even further, gets up again, goes and grabs it. Then he goes and gets the fish and does it again and again. Because what that father was doing was saying, I'm not going to let your mom sit here when you're 18 years old, living in my house, eating all my food. I'm going to teach you to be independent, you know? And that's exactly what that eagle was doing. And what he was doing was, he's saying, it's awesome that by mom's mercy, she's getting up in the middle of the night and feeding you because you're a little baby and you need that food. And every mom in here who's doing that right now is like, well, amen. You know, and we need you. We need you, we need moms, but we also need fathers who will train up their children in the way they're supposed to go. And what we learn in the resurrection is that the father is a good, good father. Let me tell you how that works. I've heard people say to me a number of times, what kind of dad would allow his son to die on a Roman cross? What kind of dad would purposefully send his son to die so that a bunch of rebellious bums would live. What kind of dad would do that? I want nothing to do with the Christian faith if that's the kind of God that we're following. I'll tell you what kind of dad would do that. It's the kind of dad who believes in his son and believes that he can handle it. See, the whole story of the gospel is Jesus just standing toe-to-toe with the enemy and being like, give me your absolute best shot. Give me everything you got. And his dad is like, 
I'm telling you, Satan, do not mess with this boy. He will crush you. You will bite his heel, but he will crush your head. And he sends his son in. And it says this in Isaiah. And this is a confusing passage for us. It says this in Isaiah. It says it pleased God to crush him. You ever wondered about that? How could it please God to crush him? Because he knew he was going to rise from the dead. Because he's like, oh, wait. Oh, wait and watch. As the sins of the world fall on my son and as he takes them down into the grave, he hasn't even started yet. He's poured out his life unto death. But now the glory starts. Now you see it. He will take death and he will take shame and he will take fear and he will take guilt and he will pummel them and he will overcome them and he will rise again. And it tells us here in Hebrews that he says the same thing about us. There are things that we can't do. We can't die for our own sin and we can't rise from the dead. But it says this, but you have not yet resisted sin to the shedding of blood. And I encourage you, it says, Consider him who endured such scorn from sinners. Yet he took it all the way. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what was the joy? The joy that was set before him was not only the relationship and the reunion with his father, but it was also the fact that he trusted that his father rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know what the prize was at the end? A bride. He died for his bride, for his church. Because he wanted the relationship with her. And for him, the joy that was set before him was that he knew his father would give him something. And what was happening is his father was washing the sin and the guilt and the shame off of his bride so that she could be spotless and holy, full of joy, radiant bride to engage with him. And here he is pouring it out unto death. And it says, consider him who did that. That you not lose heart. And you not grow weary in doing good. He made it all the way because his father believed in him. And the same father believes in you. And he believes in me. And he believes there's a whole lot more available inside of us than we believe about ourselves. It's very easy for us to sit back and want God or Mama Eagle to continue to feed us. But the God of the Bible is one who says, I will do what you cannot do, and I will overcome what you cannot overcome. But I will cloak myself so that the only way you will find me and receive that is if you do it by faith. I need to know that you want it and that you want me. And if you will come after me, you will find me. If you will ask me, I will provide for you. We have not yet poured out our lives to the shedding of blood, most of us for the sake of resisting sin. And what's available to us right now is a living God, a living God, a God who's alive. And, uh, you know, there's always that thing at the end of the kids' soccer season, depends on what league you're in, they hand out trophies to everybody. What? (laughs) Everybody gets a trophy. (laughs) What does a trophy even mean? Our Father God does not hand out trophies easy. He doesn't at all. There is one reason why Jesus receives all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Because he poured out his life unto death. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor, dominion and power forever and ever. But there is glory and honor to be given to each and every one here. And he believes in you. 
that as we trust in the cross, as we trust in an empty tomb, that he will allow us, he will bring out the very best in us, so much so that one day he will give us jewels and crowns. To the extent that we trusted him, he will produce the fruit of the spirit in our lives and we will see that the talents he gave us will be returned and there will be a yield. And when those are yielded, by faith he produces his fruit. And when that fruit is produced, he will reward us. He will reward us and we will give it back to him in praise and it will be the fulfillment of our lives. And we believe that today about God because we believe that he exists, that he's alive, that he does what we can't do, and that he trusts that we can do a whole lot more than we think we can. He is a good, good father. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this day. This is it right here. This is it. This is it. I love how you are so selfless and you always promote us forward. You can do whatever you want, but instead you empower the church to do what it is that needs to be done because you want to trust us. You want to grow us like that, that, like that eagle father who's saying, you got more, come on. I know you need food, but come on. And you empower us and you say, life will not work well for you until you realize it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You will not see me until you see me by faith. And you require these things of us, like faith, like, like trusting you. And you do that because you actually believe in us. You're not just paying the price for our sin. You're not just feeding us the word of God. You're actually empowering us and pulling out the best in us. And because of that, man, we can turn back to you and be like, how amazing are you, God? How amazing are you that when we reject you and rebel against you and turn from you and we don't worship you, you forgive us and you wash us and you cleanse us and you put your righteousness on us and then you call us and you patiently walk us forward and you discipline us and you're invested and you're strategic about bringing out the best in us. There is no one and nothing like you. And today when we see an empty empty tomb, we remember that all that we have thought is reality, all that we have seen with our eyes, is, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not the reality. And so God, grow us in faith so that we can grow in worship. And we will thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.